Well, take your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew, excuse me, let's turn to John. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to go back to Matthew. John chapter 2, verse 12 through 25. And today we have a big, tall order to get through this material, so I'm going to go rather quick in the Scripture so we can actually look at more Scripture. You've got some of your notes, I'm going to give you some extra notes. And how does this even apply to us? We're reading something that's 2,000 years old. How can this ancient Scripture apply to your life and my life today. And we're going to make some application today. If you listen, if you take notes, uh, Wendy's better note taker. I've told you before, she takes better notes than the bulletin notes. So if you take the bulletin notes, good. The reason we do that is so you can actually use it this week around the coffee pot or, or talk through this week or teach a Bible study at your, at your workplace. If God calls you to do that, we just want to give you something that's going to help you, that's going to plant and water seeds all over this, this CSRA, and then you will see the fruit of God come. We want you to be a part of that, so that's why we give you the notes. But Wendy takes better notes than I preach. I don't know how that works, because I'll read through her notes and say, what did you get? And I'm like, I didn't preach this, and I didn't preach this. And I flip through her notebook, and I'm like, I'm going to start preaching on Saturday night to her and actually preach her notes on Sunday morning, uh, because she takes better notes than I preach. I don't know what, what that is. But anyway, let's jump into God's Word today, and it's so glad. If you've got a wonderful copy of God's Word, let's turn to chapter 2 and begin in verse 12. We know together that Jesus has done his first miracle. He's turned water into wine there at Canaan, and now he's going to leave. In verse 12, after this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Just get this as a clue before we go further. Jesus had a mother, and his, her name was what? Mary. Mary was a virgin when she got pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, and she gave birth to Jesus. The Bible says she knew no men. Joseph was commanded, don't know her personally or intimately until she gives birth. After she gave birth to Jesus, she had many other sons and the Bible says daughters. If you come from a Catholic background, many times they talk about the, uh, the continuation of her virginity. It didn't happen. She actually, once she had children, she, she had other children other besides the Lord. So Lord was born miraculously perfect, virgin born. But all these other boys and the sisters were not. They were born the same old way that we got here, okay? Just keep that in mind when you talk with someone. And the Catholic Church sometimes will say, no, that means family. That's, the word brothers is just an extended way of saying family. Don't let someone take you into that trap. That's not what it means. Brother means what? Brother. This was blood brothers that, of, of Jesus. Well, you would say half brother. At least they had the same mother. They didn't have the same father because God, the Holy Spirit implanted Jesus there in her womb. Let's continue. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, or pigeons, your Bible might say, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers, uh, the changers' money, overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, or pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again, or raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and it was up to that point. The temple wasn't completely finished. And you, will you raise it up in three days? 
but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Finally, last three verses. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of men, for he knew what was in men. Well, let's get into, and let me pray for the reading of his word today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. I ask your blessing on your word as we preach and teach today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you take to your notes, and uh, we see that he was in Cana. Only a couple times you see Cana mentioned in the scriptures. Jesus traveled to Capernaum. Capernaum, if you look at your Bible maps, you look on the back. Me and Mike got into this morning, and it kind of slipped into my notes. Mine. I went in and put it in the notes. Capernaum obviously is about 20 to 25 miles away from Cana. They traveled how? By foot. Route 11. One after one after one, right? That's the route they took to get to Capernaum. Why would they go to Capernaum for three days? Capernaum's at the Sea of Galilee. If you were here for the Matthew study, you would understand that Jesus did get away often. He would get away to pray. He would get away to actually be alone with the Father. And he even told his disciples, what did he do in the boat? When the boat was rocking and everything's falling apart, Jesus is where? Remember when they're on the Sea of Galilee? Where is Jesus? He's in the back of the boat asleep. They woke him up and said, we're perishing. Who was he? He was and is God. Is a tossed sea going to bother Jesus? No. Neither is water to wine, neither is the traveling, neither is the things in the Sea of Galilee, but did he possibly go there to relax? He went to the coast, to the sea, to the lake, if you will, and I believe he relaxed because he had his mother there. She was getting older, and we know Jesus is about 30 years old when he started his journey. But I want you to see this, that Jesus took time to relax. Never feel guilty for taking a vacation, Unless you're a vacation hog. If you just continue to take vacation after vacation after vacation, then there should be some, some concern that you need to get a job or work, right? But Jesus got away. He got away and took breaks on a regular basis. He got away to pray. He got away to be by himself. He got away to take even his mother, if you will, with him and his brothers and his disciples. He had to teach them how to actually pray. He had to teach them how to relax because these men, many of them come from a rugged background. Peter, especially James, John, they're learning as they're going because the Bible says, and they realized, and they said. John, remember, if you read about John, he's called one of the sons of thunder. They tried to call down fire from heaven to kill all the Samaritans. Does this sound like a loving John that we're reading about now? No, but Jesus changes our hearts and our lives if we follow him with all of our hearts and our lives. Did you know that? He changes our hearts and lives. I want you to see this as he goes. Jesus and his family, along with his disciples, stayed in Capernaum, a waterfront city on the Sea of Galilee. Big trade commercial port what this was as well. So it was, this would have been a Charleston, if you will, for us. We would get away to Charleston or go down to a port city where there's beautiful things and people from all different backgrounds, people come from all different areas. Jesus himself, he created all of creation, so therefore I believe he enjoyed even some of his creation. Jesus then traveled about 80 miles to Jerusalem. So when you go from verse 12 to verse 13 in your Bible, that's an 80 miles difference. Does that shock you sometimes? Can you do 80 miles by foot overnight? No, so there's a time period. So when we read the Bible, you have to read the Bible in context and realize there's a time period that happened between verses 12 and verses 13. There was a time period for even traveling 20 miles. Can you make 20 miles in a day? 
maybe. This was, this was actually part of travel. But I want you to see the time lapse, because when we read it, it says, and this happens, this happens, this happens. And if you're not careful, you can think it all happened in the same day, same week, same month. But it took 80 whatever it would take, take 80 miles to walk. Jesus is now coming into town because the Passover is happening, the big festival of the Jews. And you remember the Passover, Passover celebration, all the Jews came to town. And you'll find that, in, and you can look it up for yourself. And I would encourage you, if you take notes, go read the Passover. You'll understand this passage a whole lot better. Exodus chapter 12, where Jesus gives commands to Moses, this is what you shall do. And what was the Passover? If the, if the children of Israel, they were in bondage in Egypt, and this was the 10th plague that God had sent on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, he gave a command to Moses. You tell all the, this was supposed to be the believing Jews, right, all the Jews, Kill a lamb, a perfect lamb, take the blood, dab it, and put it over the doorpost and the lentils. Put it on the front so when the death angel comes by, when God sends his messenger of wrath, when he comes by, if he sees the blood, he'll pass over it. So that's where the Jews got the Passover celebration from. That's where we read this in the passage today. This is the Passover celebration. They were to continue to do this to remember what God has done. Now, we don't do the Passover celebration. Some people say, well, I want to do, get back to Jewish roots and do a, a Passover Seder. Anybody ever done those? You ever done one? It's okay to do that. That's not, that's not a, oh, don't do that. We, we learn a lot from the, and I call it a Jewish custom, but a biblical custom because it was from God and it's in the Bible. So if you do that, there's no harm or foul in that. But always remember, it's not just the festival, not just the celebration, not just the worship center, not just the bread you break, not the drink you drink. But it's what Jesus Christ has done for you and me if you've accepted his gift of free, free gift of salvation. Do we understand that this morning? So all the external stuff is external stuff until you've got the internal stuff right. The external stuff will never matter. These people had the internal. They understood it. These people also had the external. Uh, they started putting on all the traditions and all the festivals. They kept them because it was one fun and they said this is part of our religion. But you'll see, we'll see today, they get just like church members, just like Baptists in our current culture. And you look at the sermon title, it's How Dare You? How Dare You? Well, keep reading. Jesus entered the temple when he arrived in Jerusalem. He first went where? To his father's house. He went to his father's house. He understood, because remember later, is Jesus God? The answer, we've got to answer that question. Is Jesus God? Yes. So he was going to his own house is what he was doing, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't quite understand that. I told you, when you get to heaven, ask God about it. He teaches that in Scripture, and you say, well, my mind can't be wrapped around that. That's where it says, by faith you're saved, isn't it? And we believe the Word of God by faith. We come to the place, I can't believe that. Well, that's your struggle, and I can't help you with that struggle, okay? I can just tell you what the Word of God says. The Holy Spirit's got to help you with that. And we come to the place of understanding that Jesus, first thing he did when he went to the holy city, that's what they called it, he went to his house, his father's house, the temple. And what did he see there? He knew what he was going to find because he's God. Every time mankind gets an object to worship, what will they do? They'll worship it. John 4, 24 says, we must worship God. If you want to worship God, Jesus told the woman at the well, you will worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, I just need something to hold on to. Just, just let me get a cross in my hand, and it makes me think about Jesus. Is that what he said to do? Oh, let me just go sit in a sanctuary somewhere, and it just makes me feel like I'm in the presence of God. Let me just get to the church house and sit somewhere. 
in my same pew, my family's done for 30 years. You ever done that? You ever been a part of those churches? When a guest comes in, they go, eh. Or worse, I've been at church where people walk down like this, and a guest had come in, and they come, and I've been a guest that's happened to, and they just come in and do like this. On the side, there's a gold plate that says their family gave this pew to the church. They gave the money to buy this pew, and therefore you're in their pew, and they'll wait you out. And it's happened, it's happened about seven years ago here, right back in that corner over there. there the, people, the people's pew aren't here anymore. The people aren't here, the pew's still here, all right? Those people left, but a guest was there, and somebody said, you're sitting in my seat. All right, here's a news flash. You don't own a seat in this church. When you give to this church, you give to the glory of God and to the kingdom. Amen? I don't own a seat. You don't own a seat. This is the Lord's house. But if you're not careful, you'll think it's yours. You'll come to, this is, this is my class, right? This is my place. That's my parking spot. This, these people have done the same thing. They kept eroding the meaning of what God told them. Hey, remember that I brought you out of slavery. I brought you out of bondage to freedom. And freedom was not through getting away from the Egyptians. I hope you realize that. Where was the freedom? The freedom was in the blood. Kenzie was sharing with me. She went last week into a beach uh, church, and they did the Lord's Supper, and they just broke bread. No cup, nothing to drink. That's only half the story, church. You don't break just the bread. That's why we have the cup. And later she took the bread and she took water with it. She said, there's just something within me because that's what we do. We do this in remembrance of Jesus, the blood that he shed for you and me. We're covered by the blood. That's the New Testament that we have. All right, what did Jesus find when he went to his father's house? Jesus found merchants wrongfully profiting from the sale of needed animals for sacrifice. Remember, people are traveling from all over. People are coming from way from Rome, all over the area that they're coming back for the Passover. And they found money changers inappropriately profiting from the exchange of foreign or pagan coins for temple currency. This was money that was approved by the priest to present his offerings. Now, I didn't put this in your notes, but if you want to look at something, go with me to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus 30. This is important to see because where do these guys get the right? Who do you think you are making up money in the temple of God? Now, we know these men are like many men who come to church today. And I talked to you about last week about it. And somebody got really upset with me last week. And I'm, that makes me happy. Um, because I just said what God's word says. If you, Malachi 3.10, you bring all the tithes to the storehouse. If you don't bring the tithes to the storehouse, what did God say? Why do you rob me? Why do you rob me? And some of us today, especially in the church of God, are ripping God off. You say, well, the church don't need all that money. Well, do you think God needs the money? No, it's out of obedience that we obey him and watch what he does. He does ministries like we talked about in the park. He does ministries uh, around the world that we have opportunity to share. And he does ministries through our Southern Baptist, through the cooperative program, things that we actually do together that we can't be there. He's helping people in the storm of Ida. He's helping with all the, in, in Afghanistan, our money goes around the world. What money we give, we give collectively to missions. He said, well, what, what can our little bit of money do? I'm not God. I don't know the answer. But God don't need your money, and Town Creek Baptist Church don't need your money. We're not here for a profit. We're a non-profit. Amen? We're not here to make money. We're here to do the work of the Lord. But you know it takes resources to do the work of the Lord. Why in the world would God require every person, and you'll see poor and rich, 
Nobody get off the hook. Well, I ain't got no money, Lord. And I've told you before, if you've got a heart of worship and you want to give to the Lord, you want to sacrifice, give to the Lord, you, can't, you don't even have a job. You're homeless. You can even find a penny or a quarter or a nickel in the parking lot of Walmart, right? If you look, you say, Pastor, that's pushing it. Is it? Because remember when Peter was asked, hey, did your group pay the temple tax? And Peter said, yeah, we do. Lord, do we? Right? He spoke because he knew that was a God thing. How did he know that? You read that and go, Peter was just being braggadocious. No, Peter knew Exodus chapter 30. He knew what he learned in Jewish school. He knew what his daddy taught him, that this is something we do, son. The rich and the poor do this together because we'll see why. Why do we even give? Why did they give? They took something that was of God and made it for profit, and they were ripping people off. Exodus chapter 30, begin in verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there may be no plague among them, when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. And what was the reason for giving before I finish reading? That there be no plague among them. If you're not giving to the Lord today, listen, you've got the plague of sin in your life. You say, well, Lord, I'm not feeling it. I'm, I'm prospering. No, you're not. You might have money. You might have stuff. But you're living in sin to God. Should have been a big amen right there, right? Why don't we amen? Because I ain't giving my money. We teach our children when they get a dollar, give a dime. That's no problem. But when your dollar turns into $100,000, it's hard to give the Lord $10,000 because that's $10,000. Or if you got a million, to give them $100,000. But Lord, that's a lot of money. I'd have to go get that money out of savings. Would you rather your money be in savings and die when you die, right? It's going to, state's going to get it or some of your kids who don't like you won't talk to you now get it? Or do you want to put it into the work of the ministry now and build a kingdom bank when you get to heaven so you, when you get to heaven, you hear the Lord say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Our money matters on this earth because our money is the avenue that God does his work. There is no Giles Park if there's no dead chickens. Do you understand? And if we don't buy the dead chickens, we can't put the dead chickens on the grill. People can't eat. And who's going to come just to sit and talk to you because they have no interest in spiritual things? We connect with people at their basic need. We feed them first, as Jesus did when he fed the 5,000 we're going to read about soon. He said, boys, where are we going to get enough resources to feed these people? And what they say? There's a little lad. You're going to see this in the coming up. There's a little lad here with some fish and bread. His mama prepared for that boy to travel with Jesus and snack on some sardines as he was going so that he might hear the Savior. Mom gave something to the boy. The boy gave something to Jesus, and Jesus fed 5,000. We're still reading about it today saying, amen, what a miracle. That great little lad gave it all. Well, how about us giving? Oh, I got, Pastor, I got a car payment. I got that new Silverado. That thing's expensive. That thing's $600 a month payment, $700. People are paying $900 a month for cars, y'all. There should be a brick, an invisible brick hit you in the head if you're spending all your money on cars. There's used cars out there everywhere. Buy one. But if you're spending that kind of money, I just can't. Or your house is so big you can't afford nothing. God forbid. Be like the lad we're going to learn about gives everything to the Lord and watch him give it back to you. Now, can you use a big house? The answer is 100% yes, as unto the Lord. Can you use your new car? Yes, it can. But listen, we do it because it's showtime or it's big or whatever. 
I had a suburban. Our kids towed around that thing forever. Sports here, games here, camping here, mountains there. It was a big old tank. And then I drove it. It was Wendy's. And I never get a new car. She always gives me her old junk when the new car has to come around or a new used car. But not long ago, gave it away. Why? Because I, w- I was impressed by the Lord to do it. And I know many of you in here have done the same thing because you give it to the church. And we, in turn, either use it or have to give it away. What is a vehicle to us? Well, what is a vehicle to God? Come on, what's a vehicle to God? Nothing. But if you give it to him, then he makes it something. We might give it away to somebody that has a need. Pray specifically about what we need. And when somebody has a need, I say, listen, if you have a need, God's already made the supply, right? Remember a couple weeks ago when the nails came, there was a need, right? I don't know. I said, God's going to want me to build something out of wood or shingle a house. And the supply came. Someone tried to vandalize the church in my house, right? Throwing nails all over the place. I still got the nails and I'm sure we'll use them sometime in the near future. God's got something for us to build. Here's what I want us to understand as Christians. Let's give ourselves away. These people are so, let's get into the, you'll see, well, I don't have enough money. Nobody had an excuse. Let let me jump in. Exodus 30, and we can jump in verse uh, uh, 14. Everyone included among those who are numbered. From 20 years old, excuse me, back to 13. This is what everyone among you must, who are numbered, shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 giras. Anybody know what these are? The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. And then it goes into everyone that's numbered among you shall do this, right? From 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. And when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves and you shall take the atonement money from the children of Israel. Why? God don't need it. Same principle here. Why, Why would you take it? And you shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting. This was the house of worship. That it may be a memorial to the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Why would you give? Why did God command Moses that the people of the old covenant would have to give? Want to make atonement to show that I am committed to you, God, because you committed to us. And it's so that actually the tent of meeting, the very place of worship, might have the upkeep that it has need of. Why do we give today? Same thing. The Lord don't need our stuff. We give so that we might actually be blessed, right? Not blessed that God would give me more. It's blessed that I might give away and see lives change for eternity. Let's continue to go. But that, that's a mandate by God. These guys had turned into like predatory lending or exchange. They knew they had to come in and bring their money from Rome or the other towns that were around. And you had to change it into a Jewish coin that was in the temple. It was specific to the temple. And they were ripping people off. They were charging interest. They were like the exchange rate. That when you go, what is the exchange rate? Like today I looked it up. One U.S. dollar is equal to 1.27 Canadian. Did y'all know that? If you're traveling to Canada anytime. Our dollar is stronger than the Canadian dollar, so we get 1.27. You get a dollar and a quarter more. The, the uh, Wells Fargo exchange is 3% on the international exchange today. 3%. Is that fair? You say, I don't like it, but I got I to gotta pay somebody to switch my money. Somebody's got to do some work. What if it was 300%? That's what these guys were doing. The exchange rate was 300%. They were ripping people off when they came into the temple to worship God. They would come in and say, I'm from Rome. And I, I, don't, I couldn't travel with all those pigeons, right? You can't really tuck a pigeon in for long distance. And you can't let them free fly. It's because the pigeon's going to go away. 
So they were bringing their animals in or they didn't bring anything and they'd say, hey, we're from Rome and we're here to worship on the Passover. We're here to worship the Lord because he's done good to us. And a lot of the poor people had to come in and remember you, you, could, you could actually sacrifice or have a sacrifice of a dove or a pigeon. You can't travel a long distance with a pigeon, just so you know. You'll, you'll kill them. So they had to come in. Hey, we're here to worship and celebrate God, what he's done in our life, okay? You got to get temple money. Uh, we know that, okay? How much is it? Uh, oh, it just the exchange rate just went up. It's going to cost you some exchange, and the interest for exchanging it's going to be this much. And they were ripping people off to get into worship God. It's like having a cover charge to get into the church this morning. We'd make a whole lot more money, wouldn't we? Our people would turn around and say, I ain't paying to go in there. Y'all don't know what, y'all remember what a cover charge is. Some of you do. Some of you don't like cover charge. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you had to pay to get in, right? Mike went to Carowinds. Carowinds said, hey, Town Creek Baptist Church. Y'all come on in. Y'all get to go ride everything for free. Everything's free for y'all. We can understand the concept that Carowinds needs money to fix roller coasters, but we can't understand that God uses his resources here to fix his house. And if your house is better than his house, because somebody came up not long ago, I looked at it this morning. Somebody said, Pastor, there's, this carpet's ugly. It needs to be replaced. Then I said, make a donation. Or fix it yourself. If you know some carpet people, fix it. I'm not a carpenter or a carpet guy. Don't tell me. Do I care? What's this? When I walk in for the invitation, my foot goes over that hole. I can't see it. I'm not going, oh, Lord, we need some new carpet. But I am going, Lord, your house looks worse than my house. We've got to give more. We've got to do more. Why do we build this big old building? Somebody said, this building's filthy. That's because there's kids all over, they're crawling all over this place seven days a week, it seems like. If it's filthy where you're standing, clean it up. There's vacuum cleaners, Windex, bleach, you name it. It's back there in the maintenance room. This is as much your church, we don't own it, as it is mine. Don't tell me that a toilet stopped or cleaned up. Unstop it, clean it up. Amen? Because we are, we say it this morning in Scripture, we are the priesthood of God, are we not? The priesthood of believers, come on. Y'all don't, don't want the priesthood title now because it's time to do work. Everybody says, that's good, y'all do that. Amen. We were kids, we used to say we dared somebody, put up or shut up. Amen. That's my challenge to you today. Put up or shut up. If you're going to live a Christian life as a kingdom disciple of Christ, put your money, put your work where God says to put it because we've been called for the good works of the Lord. He said, that offends me. Read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. If that offends you, God said so, not me. We've got to do what God says to do the way he says to do it to get God's results. We don't have an option B. God has no option B, I should say. Well, here's what Jesus did. These men were wrongfully exchanging the money. They were wrongfully selling oxen or cattle. They were wrongfully selling sheep. They were wrongfully selling doves and pigeons. And they were making money in the temple complex, not the temple proper. Okay, just remember that. They counted all of it as the temple. Jesus made a whip of cords and he cleansed the temple of the money changers, the merchants, because of his disgust they had made God's house a prayer into. He was angry. Can you be angry and not sin? Is it possible? Well, did Jesus ever sin? Was he angry? And he had a holy disgust. Look what you have turned my father's house into. What he was saying is, look what you've done to my place. You've wrecked my place in the name of worship so that actually it would look good from the outside and y'all would get rich in your own wallet and walk around and say, isn't it nice to be leaders in the house of God? 
Preachers are doing it today. Deacons are doing it today. People are doing it today. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Let's look and see what the Lord says to you and me today. This is actually a takeaway. And I asked Wendy to pray for me. That's what she was praying for me as we were getting ready to come up. Because this is so power packed, it's heavy for us to lift. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. If you're there, say amen. You need to see this. And we always talk about righteous indignation. Righteous indignation is simply this. You should be angry or mad about what makes God angry or mad. And God is a God of love, but he does get angry. Look through the whole Bible. Read the whole Bible for yourself. If some of you just say, well, my God's a God of love, he would never do that. He would never send anybody to hell. Who created hell according to what Jesus said? Let's face this reality. Who created hell? And he says, everyone who goes there, it was, I made it for the devil and his angels, the demons. That's what hell was created for. But who goes there? Anyone who does not receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Or anybody in the Old Testament who refused to live the righteous way. There were some Jews that said, I'm not giving no temple tax. I'm not going to go worship. There were Gentiles doing the same thing. Is that true for us today? There's people doing the same thing in our culture today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. So is it okay to get angry? As long as you get angry at things that make God angry. That's a good catch, wasn't it? As long as you get angry at things that make God angry. But be angry and don't sin. The abortion industry, should we be angry about abortion? That's killing, that's murdering a baby. But do we go and shoot the abortion doctor? The abortionist? No. But we pray. We pray for them and we rally. We do whatever we can to, to make it stop. And we hope that is coming to an end in America soon. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That's for husbands and wives as well. You ever gone to bad mad? You got to fix it before the sun goes down. Otherwise, you're sinning against God. That should Wait a minute, try it again. Husbands, wives, listen. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you do, you're sinning against God. Amen, that's true. This is from the word of God. Because if you're, if you're a Christian, nor give place to the devil. Don't, let him, don't fix him a plate of supper, okay? Don't fix him a chair to come sit. The devil will take full advantage of you. Let him whose still, soul still no longer, but rather him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt or, uh, a word proceed out of your mouth, but that what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you or forgave you. Isn't that a great word? Don't you wish we could live like that every day? If only, we'd say, Lord, if only. Can we live like that? The answer is yes, because the Holy Spirit has sealed us to the day of redemption. We have the ability to follow the Word of God, but first we must read the Word of God. We must pray the Word of God, and then we can actually live out the Word of God. Otherwise, we're living in sin. Look at the notes. Jesus proclaimed to the seller of doves and pigeons, get these things out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? They, they just made the full market. It was the flea market at the temple. That's what they had turned it into. 
Jesus so strongly showed his love and compassion for his father's house that he even brought scripture to the minds of his disciples. And by the way, that where he says the zeal, when they would actually realize the quote is there, we get back over to John, that the zeal for your house has eaten me up. That was a quote from Psalm 69, 9. If you read that in context, you go, what does that even mean? But now you know what it means because you can actually see the prophetic word in the word today. Finally, the Jews questioned Jesus' authority to cleanse the temple. Why do you do this? Ungodly people, mark this down and circle this. Ungodly people never understand the ways of God. Isaiah 55, God says, my ways are so much higher than your ways, says the Lord. Isn't that true? You can go look at that reference for yourself. You say, well, I can't know the mind of God. Can you know the mind of God? Paul said we should have the mind of Christ. Let the mind of Christ dwell in you richly. How can we have the mind of Christ? How can I know what God's thinking about a situation? How can I know if I should do this or this? How can I know? And it comes back from his word, his holy word. The only way to get the mind of Christ is to read the words of Christ. The only way to live like God and like God wants you to be a God life is to actually read what God says that we're to walk, how we're, how we're to speak, how we're to talk to one another, how we're to do life together as believers in the house of God. Jesus prophetically told them about his sufferings for their personal salvation. They missed it. And if you read it just by yourself, you go, wait a minute, tear down the temple in three days. If we were there, we probably would have said the same thing. What are you talking about? We would have done like they did and said, wait a minute, they've been building on this temple for 46 years. You're going to tear it down. You want us to tear it down in three days, you're going to build it back? Let me just share something with you. Some of you have PhDs. I don't know if anybody has more than one, but if you have a PhD or, or your master's degree or bachelor's degree or associate degree or no degree, how dumb is it to ask the man, one man, can he rebuild a temple that took 46 years? Or are you going to rebuild it in three days? Just rationally think for that for a second. Just logically think through it. I don't care how good a carpenter you are. Can any one man build a building? It wasn't that large of a building and the whole complex laid out. Can anybody build it in three days? What's the logical answer? No. These were intelligent men. These were schooled, educated men of their day, and they asked the question. They should have known he was talking about something greater. He'd already done a miracle. Miracles were following him. How do we know that? Because it's going to tell us in the Scripture. They knew he was doing signs and wonders, and they asked him, what are you going to do? It took us 46 years to get to this point. Are you going to tear it down and build it up in three days? Dumb question. Dumb question. Do people do that in church today? Well, how do you know that Jesus stuff is right? There's many ways to God. My Muslim friend, and they talk about all these other ways. And all I say is, what a dumb comment. What a dumb question. If Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And you bring up another, well, what about this person? They're going to get to God this way. That's a dumb statement or a dumb question. Don't entertain yourself by talking to me about that crazy mess. I don't want to hear it because Jesus has already spoken in John 14, 6. Jesus has already said there's only one way. Why would I entertain any other thoughts? When a professor at a school says, well, this is what the Bible says, but you just move his butt out of the way. Amen? Right? Just take that B-U-T out of the way and move forward. Say, listen, I won't stand for that. We've, we've talked about auditing classes here at USC because indoctrination is happening all over the place. 
I'm, I'm about ready to ask some of you men and women that are retired to go take a class, to audit a class, so we can stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can put down those professors who are talking trash to our kids saying there is no God, those atheists who don't really believe anything, and putting that garbage out. Before we do that, we've got to do it in here. We've got to do it at the, uh, the local store. We've got to do it at the Walmart. We've got to do it at places where we connect with family. We can't go and fight the forces of evil because the Bible says clearly the gates of hell will not stand against God's church. Well, it sounds, seems like it, doesn't it? Every week we find out about something else about coronavirus. Let's tighten it down. Every week we find out something about around the world. Let's tighten it down. More, we call it religious liberties in America. More things we're losing every day. We know it's the end of time. I'm not concerned about it. Are you concerned? We need to do something today. Let's kick somebody out of office. Let's, let's fix the White House. And you're, not, you're not even worried about your house. Let me tell you something. You fix your house, the White House will fall in play. That's small fries to God. What is the President of the United States? What is the United States of America? What is China? What is Russia? What's the threat around the world? Small fries to God. Nothing. But if my people pray, how many of us have been praying diligently? We're going to have prayer starting next Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night. There will be less than 15 people here to pray. I just don't have time on Wednesday nights. Are you getting together Thursday? No, I ain't got time Thursday. How about Friday or Saturday? That ain't good for my schedule. We've got time for everything else in the world, but we don't have time to go before the Father and ask him for things. Lord, would you help my family? Lord, would you guide me? Lord, would you guide our nation? I pray for our president. Lord, I pray for this. And I'm praying for our president. Change is harder. Change is location. That's what I'm praying for, just so you know. That's how I pray. Romans 10, 8 through 17, Jesus clearly was trying to tell these men and these people, I'm not talking about the physical temple. Paul kind of summarized it for there. If you look at Romans 10, 8 through 17, Paul will summarize it. And the Bible is very clear. These men missed it. They missed it. And as Mike said earlier, if you missed it, guess what? You miss it. And these men are in hell today because they missed it. That make you think about these people. This is 2,000 years they've been in, in a place of torment they can't get out of. I got news for you today. Every sinner is going to hell who's not saved by the grace of God. You say, I don't like that. God made hell. God made the scriptures. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. That's a sad thing to think about. I can't comprehend it. It blows my mind and it should yours. And John gave us a future truth for this time. Jesus' disciples remembered and believed the words of Christ and the Holy Scriptures when he was resurrected. So this is a uh, future past tense statement. It was hard to write a comment about that because it says they remembered when he died on the cross, which is going to be a, a short while from here. And finally, during the Passover, many identified themselves with Jesus because of his signs and wonders. Look what it says. He did not give himself to them. Why? Because he knew the hearts of men. Jesus did not stay with the people because he himself knows we're all fickle. That's a funny word, isn't it? And depending on human circumstances, we will turn on him at a moment's notice. Give enough pressure, give enough peer pressure, give enough whatever culture you're in. You can say, hallelujah, praise God on Sunday mornings. And then when you get around your professional colleagues, you're like, ooh, we don't talk about God around here. And if you do, keep it neutral, okay? Like, I told you when politicians come to town, every election, so I go, hey, Pastor uh, Clint, would you, would you come and pray for us? I just want you just to ask God's blessing on our campaign. And I was naive when it first started. Yeah, I'll come and pray. 
And when I get there on location, they're like, hey, can you just be sure to pray in thy name or in your holy name or just kind of something that's broad that speaks to all people? Don't pray, don't close your prayer in Jesus' name. That's like asking a skunk not to stink. I mean, how can a Baptist preacher go into the place of actually, I'm asking God's blessing and it's only through the power of Jesus' name that we have access to the Father. So when I pray, I pray in Jesus' name that your will be done. I guess I'm the skunk that stinks. I don't get asked much anymore. The longer I'm here in town, the longer I don't get invited to do those things. James 1, 2 through 8, you read that on your own. How do you get an answer of prayer when you're in tough times? Now, it's aside from what Jesus did, but it's the same principle. The Lord don't want us turning our back on him. How many times have you, how many times have you actually profaned his name? You curse his name. You say before Christ? No, even after Christ. I told you I had a friend. Everything was Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. OMG. Y'all see it on text messages. Don't take his name out of context. If you're not praising him, don't curse him. Does everybody understand that? If you're not praising him, don't curse him. You can call on his name when the trouble comes. Oh, Jesus, please help me. Right? You can even sing Jesus take the wheel if you reckon, okay? But otherwise than that, does that person really mean for that song to, to actually Jesus to take over their life? Nah, not till, the, not till I get a new car, and then you can't drive my car, right? We're fickle. We'll, we'll flip on Christ like that. We'll flip churches like that, won't we? I don't know what they're doing over there. I don't know what the preacher said to me. I didn't like that music. I didn't like their children's ministry. I don't like the, they don't have this, they don't have that. And people are shopping like it's Amazon or something for Jesus. We are who we are. You get what you get. But when God calls you to a place, go there and stay there until he calls you to another place. He does call us. He moves us. He moved Paul around. He moved Barnabas around. He moved Silas around. He moved, he moved people all throughout Scripture around. But don't leave until he calls you because you might be the answer to the problem at a local church or in your family or in your work. You might have the answer and you might be the answer that God's looking to give to those people. Be available for him. As Jesus got angry, holy, righteous, holy indignation, you, show, you can have the same thing. Don't take matters into your own hand. Go back and read what Ephesians says. Love one another. Be kind to one another. Be like Christ. You say, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not there. Well, we're all working until we get there to glory, right? We're being sanctified, if you're a Christian, day by day. We'll get it there. One day we'll see him. We'll be glorified in the presence of Almighty God. It's an amazing thing to think about. Come, Lord Jesus, come, we pray. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, Lord, we thank you today that you've given us the ability to know you. We know your name. We know your ways. We know, obviously, how you want us to actually be about your business and your work. Father, the problem is not knowing or head knowledge. The problem, Lord, is obedience. Help us to be the people of God who obey you. At 250 Town Creek Road, where the church gathered here, we know the church is gathered around the world, and we thank you, Lord, that we're part of such a big family. Let us today, Lord, honor you in all that we say and do. If there's a, somebody here today that's never given their hard life to Jesus Christ, all this stuff is foreign to them or sounds offensive, I pray for their salvation. If there's someone proclaiming Christ, Lord, I pray you would kick them in their holy pants to get online with you so it might be about your business. And Lord, people would see their good works and bring glory to your Father, who is in our Father who is in heaven. Help us to be people of the book. Help us to be people of obedience. And Lord, when we sing, sing with our hearts because you love us. When we commit, we commit with our hearts because you love us. And Lord, we in turn love you and want to obey you. Help us, Lord. And as Jesus cleansed the temple, 
or we know he was actually cleaning out, as Passover was, clean out all the unleavened bread. Clean out all the leaven because leaven represents sin. And as we, the Jews were to sweep out their house and clean their house, Jesus came to sweep out the temple. And even today, Jesus invites us to come in, let us come into, let him come into our hearts that he might sweep away the sin of our souls and hearts. Lord, save that soul that's near as hell. Lord, save those who uh, maybe have questions or doubting. And Lord, help them be the people of God you want them to be. And then let us grow, Lord, in faith and truth. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.